hello, and welcome to another edition of the e-commerce evolution podcast. I'm your host, Brett Curry, CEO of OMG Commerce. And today I've got a treat for you. We are talking with the author of the Amazon best-selling book. It's a nonfiction book, Average Joe, Be the Silicon Valley Tech Genius. Really excited about this, this topic and really excited about this guest. If you're ready to finally scale with YouTube ads, I have a free exclusive event just for you. Our YouTube ad experts here at OMG, including myself, are partnering with our team at Google to deliver a power-packed virtual event. We're calling it YouTube Ads for E-Commerce, the winning formula for scale. During the event, we'll show you exactly how other e-commerce brands we work with are spending $5,000, $10,000, even $30,000 per day or more profitably with YouTube ads. You'll get to learn directly from Google with information from their Unskippable Labs team. This presentation on what ads get skipped and what ads don't is amazing. I've seen it before, and it will definitely help drive more conversions for you. You can also ask your burning YouTube ad questions to our expert panel. And as a bonus, fellow podcaster and e-commerce expert Kurt Elster will be talking about landing page optimization to add fuel to your customer acquisition efforts. When you sign up today, you'll also get access to the replays. Check it out at omgcommerce.com under events or visit the show notes for this episode. And now back to the show. Uh, Mr. Sean Livermore is my guest, hailing from Orange County, California. And we were connected through mutual friend, mutual acquaintance, and, and then kind of digging into and understanding what Sean created with this book. This is really about you know, teaching anyone to think, speak, create, uh, like some of the brightest tech founders in the world. And, and also, and this is important, we're going to dive into this. It dispels the myth of the tech genius. And because uh, I think we, there's like this hero worship, and then that's, I'm using Sean's language here. There's kind of this hero worship around the tech giants, you know, Bezos and, and Musk and those guys. Um, but really, that's probably just a myth, right? And so we're going to dive into that a little bit and some topics that will directly relate to any entrepreneur. And we'll certainly put a spin on it that'll be perfect for you as an e commerce entrepreneur as well. And so with that, Sean, welcome to the show, man. Really excited to have you on, and, and thanks for taking the time. Thanks, Fred. Happy to be here. Yeah, yeah. So let's, I would love to hear you define, you know, what is this myth of the tech genius, and what was kind of like the inspiration to, to write this book, and, and meaning, you know, this topic? I'll start at the end and go back to the beginning. Yeah, yeah. So the spoiler alert, uh, the myth isn't real, but in a strange and yet very satisfying twist, you can become the myth yourself, right? So uh, we worship these uh, fake uh, facade veneers of, of brilliance, and yet you can actually create your own veneer. And, and so the book kind of takes you through that smelly tunnel of transformation to learn how to take the data and the information and the work you're already doing on a regular basis and turn that into a crystallized message that... Uh, invokes all of the inflections that that gathers together all the very uh, deep and important subject matter that your hands have been working through the clay for many years and and formulate that into the least amount of words that an investor, a family friend, a spouse, coworker, peers or, or, or 
potential recruits that you would bring into your organization, that they would all hear that messaging and that they would be transformed by it and, and truly um, fascinated. And that is the end result of the whole book is to achieve fascination. And so we have a, a slow create framework, this model of a canvas, a pipeline, and a triad that helps you learn how to plot out your ideas, to work them through uh, some, some neuroscience-enabled uh, processes, and then flatten them out into a pipeline, and then process them out into a triad where you learn how to bubble up the right words and, and focus on the right things and, and achieve that fascination model. But going back to your question, so this myth of the tech genius, this is this idea back in 1840, Thomas Carlyle, a um, Scottish philosopher, had come up with 20 volumes, around 80,000 words on this idea of hero worship and that great man theory is, is what it's called. And so this distorted reality, this idea that these uh, certain people, not everyone, and that's the key phrase is not everyone, but we seek to find those few and make them our kings. We seek right. to promote them. And, and why do why do for hundreds of years we elevate and venerate and, and certain norms of society have been acceptable? You know, even today we have um, monarchies that, that we still honor and pay homage to and they have influence, right? And so why do we do that? There's a little bit of quackery, as Carlisle puts it, in this process that we we entertain ourselves with it, right? It's... Oh look! What did Megan and Harry do? You know the the <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Interesting. And, and we, we've kind of always done this, right? I mean, you look at the you know myth Greek mythology and and true hero worship back in the day, but kind of do it the same. Whether it was Edison, you know, around the the time of, of the, the author you just mentioned, or or uh, present day, you know, Bezos and and Elon Musk and and Larry Page, Sergey Brin from Google and, and that sort of thing. So, so you think par, part of this is like we're looking to be entertained a, a little bit and, and looking to be fascinated. A little bit. Uh, I mean, Carlisle even put it, you know, we, we see it as a necessary ingredient ingredient and an amalgam for truth, right? So mm. we, we sort of ease ourselves into this false reality and we get comfy there. But I think it's very dangerous as you look at the tech industry, those in or nibbling around the edges of the tech industry, we seek to have this binary answer, am I or am I not uh, a tech genius? You know, am I, do I have the magic touch? Do, can I spew out magic dust, right? Do, do I know how to impress investors with my brilliant ideas? Well, come to find out all that's nonsense, right? The, right. <laughs> the brilliant ideas, you know, they're looking for good ball players, right? The, uh, yeah. the analogy of, of an investor kind of looking at an entrepreneur is very much like a scout looking at a baseball player, uh, male or female. Let's just put the gender aside. But the, this idea that, you know, they looked at people like Ken Griffey Jr. And I have quotes in the book about it, just fascinating stuff. I, I love baseball and I kind of use one of these to, to nice. like help it. me think, you know, but the idea of Ken Griffey Jr., as he was being scouted, they said, hey, he's too eager. He's too hungry for the long ball, you know, and he, he would kind of lean forward, he'd lean back, and he'd do some weird things with his hands. And, and they have all these quotes that I put in there. And some of these scouts hit it right on the money. They were just, they, they knew raw talent. And, and some of these investors, they also know raw talent. And they can size you up and, and get a sense for where you're at in your journey as an entrepreneur. But at the same time, they say some really interesting things that, that, make us entrepreneurs feel uh, like we're being binary tested, right? And I've been through uh, Techstars and, and Amplify Los Angeles and some other incubation 
programs. And, and I know the process. I've, I've raised money six times, seed money, uh, which is the hardest type to raise. For sure. And I've pitched 130 times. So I, I have a little bit to say about this process of, of engaging with investors. And, and a lot of it is um, irrational. As much as they want to put forward to their partners a very rational, sustainable, defensible position about why we're investing money into these founders, there are many times where it's not even the business. They could care less about the current business that those founders are, are working on. They love the people. They just look at that guy and they're like, that's a winner. I want to invest in that gal or that guy. And so there's this, this belief mode that they go into this contrarian belief mode, the CBM, I call it. And uh, there are many instances of this. I put in the book many examples of where uh, the common practices are thrown out the window. Uh, and then we have uh, folks like Tim Draper, who had a great quote, love Tim Draper. He's done a lot of good for the community. And, and yet there's been, as with any good ball player, you're going to strike out a few times. And there's been a few strikeouts in, on his record as well. Some of the things he says, though, and then Tim Draper, for for those that don't know, uh, what, what did he create? Uh, you know, he's invested in a lot of early uh, companies and had a great, successful venture capital uh, capital fund in the Valley. Uh, well known. Uh, he also invested in um, uh, Elizabeth Holmes' company. Uh, oh, so uh, that, Th Theranos. Theranos, yeah. And so yeah, boy, that's a fascinating podcast mm -hmm. series. And there's been some documentaries which I haven't watched, but yeah, to talk about fascinating study into human behavior and, 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 and talk about myth of, uh, <laughs> of a tech genius. She created some, some strong uh, mythology around who she was and who her company was. That's for sure. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. yeah. Without a doubt. And, and he invested into that and, and, and then he made a quote either before or after that, I'm not sure, but he made a quote on one interview that I, really struck me when we were doing the research for the book, <laughs> almost stopped me where I had to put my head in my hands and just shake it. And, 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 uh, uh, cry a few tears, but he said, the investor is looking for the entrepreneur. Let me, let me quote it properly. It's in the book properly. So forgive me if I misquote it, but he says, you know, a great entrepreneur is like a magician. He in essence is creating something from nothing and, and a groundswell. Right. And I, I look at that quote and that, that idea and that belief mode that they go into. And, and I feel like that's unsustainable and unfair. I feel like, you know, from the entrepreneurial standpoint, we go on these accelerators and we learn how to not be magicians. We learn how to be pragmatic, you know, business people where you have a gross sales, EBITDA and, and profit, and, and you're trying to bring a little bit of sense to your madness, right? The, all the caffeine and sugar is, is detoxed out of your system and your, all the hype and hustle is uh, taken away and, and, and extrapolated and, and what's revealed under all the armor, you know, the king, the emperor has no clothes kind of stuff, right? They, yep. Yep. There's nothing there but hype and hustle. And so they they reduce you down to your uh, first principles or your bare bones and, and you learn business, right? And you learn how to be uh, successful from a building block perspective. And yet you put yourself in front of these investors who, who, who that's a given. They already know that that already should be there and you should have good numbers and unit economics and all that but they also want to see the magic dust. Yeah. So then you have to learn how to fabricate, you know, but that's unhealthy. It's like, you can't, you know, vegetables, that's, that's cheeseburgers. Okay. You can't keep fabricating stuff. You can't keep living on hype and hustle. So the book teaches you how to, and the research, it, it teaches you 
how to manipulate the facts into a, a shape that goes into the whole, right? Uh, not manipulating facts in terms of twisting facts, but but taking all the data and on the effort and, and funneling it properly. And so no water is lost. You're just putting the water through the proper, you know, propulsion system so that it goes into the right shape and and, and gets the fire and achieves the goal. So hope that makes sense. So making things digestible, consumable for that investor you know, on in the seed round where yeah, I, th I think it's it's always and I've never gone through that. By the way, uh -huh. uh, successful entrepreneur, you know, building a, a large team and growing, and but but never have done what you've done in terms of of raising money. I think there's always value. You want to be authentic, right? Because I think people can sniff out when you're being inauthentic. But but if I'm understanding what you're saying, uh, if I'm hearing you properly, basically you're you're packaging what you've done, who you are, what you bring to the table in a way that uh, the seed investor is going to, to, to get. It's going to be palatable for them. And they're going to say, ah, this person has what it takes or this person has what I'm, what I'm looking for. Yes, but it's a matter of thinking first, right? So mm -hmm. uh, my goal is to help anyone, even the average Joe, think, speak, and create like nice. one of these tech geniuses, right? So it starts at thinking and, and the structuring of our thinking it's actually quite important. We don't think about thinking very much, do we? We don't talk about thinking very much, right? Yeah, we just not do enough. it. Not enough. Right? Yeah. yeah, totally. And so you go to the doctor and they say, well, you say, I have running problems. I can't run well. And they say, well, how do you run? I don't know. I just run, right? Mm -hmm. And you know, But there is actually a science to running where you, the foot has to come down a certain way and then your legs should push a certain way and then your hips should be a certain way. And there's there's this mechanical model to everything we do. And so thinking has a lot of mechanics, right? Yeah. And so I worked with a neuroscientist, Dr. Jesse Risman, out of uh, UCLA for several months here in, in the COVID time period and on Zoom sessions. And, and I feel like I got a master's in neuroscience out of it. He, he really mentored and, and coached and, and it really helped us formulate this framework. And so um, the ability to think now in a structured model is critical to everything I do. I have, I have my, my canvases and pipelines and I, I work them through the triad and uh, even in small conversations about uh, renting office space or, or recruiting candidates, you know, there are things that you think through systematically that you can uh, bring out the other side that left brainers like me who maybe don't naturally feel comfortable communicating. have I've learned how to try to communicate better, but it all starts way back here in the early inception process of the words and how they culminate together and string them together into sentences. It's, you know, it's it's actually not so easy for all of us to speak. Right. Yeah. It's, You're doing a great really job, point. but yeah, it's, it's <laughs> especially yeah. on the tech side, you know, programmers sure. are not known for their communication. No doubt. Uh, and so want to kind of dive into that just a little bit. And, and I fully agree with you that the, the way we think, the way we speak to ourselves, the way we structure our thoughts, critical, right? Everything else is built upon that. Where, where do you think a lot of entrepreneurs go wrong with their thinking? Like what, what are some of the, the shifts or tweaks that need to be made? And I know we can't unpack the entire book or anything like that, but what, what are just some of the, the shifts people need to make when it comes to their, their thinking you know, related to being an entrepreneur? Question, Brett. I think yeah. two areas. One is the plotting of ideas. We, we don't plot. We, we don't take what is up here floating in the ether and put it on a paper. If we do, it's a sticky note and we put it on the monitor or, you know, there's a pile of papers on your desk and you throw them all away at the end of the year or whatever. And 
the plotting of ideas into a systematic canvas is, is step one, and that's very beginning of the slow create framework. Um, number two is it really comes into how we operate. The, the, the mind is, is unfortunately used like a vehicle. We slam on the gas and then we slam on the brakes. We go from meeting to meeting to meeting to meeting and there's no gaps, right? So our mental health sucks, especially with COVID. Everyone's at home. Dogs are barking, kids are crying, things are falling, you know, our, our pets' heads are falling off like in Dumb and Dumber, right? Everything's going crazy, right? <laughs> and our mental health is in the dumps. Uh, but even if you get back to the office, you, you really, Dr. Risman talks about this period of lag. Uh, and then in a couple of great books, it's been repeated over and over, is that your mind needs a slowdown period, right? So uh, 10 minutes after a meeting, go take a walk. Uh, after reading a chapter of an audiobook, sit in silence for 10 minutes and ponder what you just read. Allow your mind and, and the neural pathways to cement. Um, and in that, derive a couple of words. Put them onto your, your uh, iPhone and in your notes and, and rehearse that or scratch them onto your canvas or put them however you need to to rehearse those words that represent all that couple hours of learning. And, and the the dust settles in a way that is recoverable. If the, if the, if the file's not saved, you'll lose the, the document, right? So you need to save the file. Um, those two is part of neuroscience. Yeah, it's, it's not something I invented at all. I'm just gathering the data and, and answering the question, but, but it's out there. You know, this is critical stuff to, to practice. Yeah, really interesting. And we, we do, man. I think we, 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 we almost feel good about being hurried, right? And, and you mentioned as we're prepping just the word hustle and we, you know, we all, we all want to hustle and grind and like go for it. And so that's almost like a badge of honor that we wear, that we're all, we're all hustling and we're going from this thing to that thing and, you know, always hurried. But man, if you don't have those few minutes to slow down and think and let the dust mm -hmm. settle, I hadn't, hadn't heard that or rehearse some of the things you just learned, um, then you're really missing out, right? And, and, I would say a lot of us can, if we're being honest, could step back and say, yeah, my mental health kind of does suck or, or I'm, I'm like suboptimal because I'm not doing some of the things that, you, that you're talking about. So it's so true. And then that dovetails into creativity mm -hmm. where if you, if you don't allow your mind to, to ideate and, and germinate on certain topics, you're not going to uh, develop those. Right. And, mm -hmm. and, and so it's one thing to say, I have an idea. It's another thing to say, I've been incubating this idea in a systematic manner, right? And not just in a void, but pulling in input from different sources. Uh, in 1949, Elliot Hutchinson narrowed in on this very specific idea of creativity and, and he created this model of creativity. Uh, and then part of that model is this wall, he called Hutchinson's wall, right? And it's that wall of the blank canvas problem. It's that wall of, oh, I, I'm not getting anywhere, you know, I'm stuck. And so many entrepreneurs are out there working through a couple ideas, but they get to that wall and they stop. And instead of trying to climb the wall, the book and, and the research that we found tells you to dig under it in that you get into this mindless work model of drifting and daydreaming. And, and, and I, you know, you may say, well, I thought this podcast was about tech entrepreneurship. Yeah, it is. But, but this is a big part of that, isn't it? That, that we're all kind of staring off into the, into the, out of the window and into space sometimes. And, but, but that's good. You kind of need that meditative uh, kind of drift in your life so that you can take a step back and very carefully allow your brain to un untangle the spaghetti.
Yeah, I love that. And I, and I heard from a really successful CEO, I don't remember, I'll probably just make the, be making this up, but Jack Welch maybe or, or someone else uh, that said, you know, they they would dedicate, you know, window time, I think they would call it, where they would, where would stare out the window and just think, right? And they felt like that was some of the most valuable time they spent, mm-hmm. not in meetings, not not in doing other things, but just just thinking and processing and, and unpacking, you know, what's mm-hmm. going on, which, which is a really interesting thought. Yeah, it's a uh, nagging pull. It's 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 also that like you can deliberately uh, put yourself in a position where you say, "Today, for the next ten minutes, I'm going to drift." You know, well, that doesn't always, you know, <laughs> but like the nagging pull that that rock in your shoe, that the pebble in your shoe, this feeling that there's something I'm forgetting when I leave the house, right? There's yes. something in the back of my mind, right? And and that is a good thing to listen to. Is you know, am I going too fast? Am I forgetting something? What was that meeting about? what are we talking about here? You know, <laughs> there's this, there's this mental awareness and the shift in thinking of, of slow is the new fast is, is a great quick explanation of it is, you know, you can move your business forward, your ideas forward. you you can iterate faster if you truly slow down and get back to first principles and, and, and focus on uh, the carefully curated thought models that seem to be making progress or, that you need to kill some of these idea models that you're working through, you need to kill and get rid of and start up the new spawn, the new threads. And the faster you uh, destroy one plant and plant the next seed, the faster you get to that beanstalk that goes to heaven. Right. And there's a great example of passive uh, incubation, um, passive creativity is uh, Kodak. Uh, I'll probably script the, the name, but land, I think the guy's last name was his daughter said, Daddy, why can't we print the picture and have it ready right away? You know, and the guy's like, well, we because there's just too much. You got the, you know, the liquids and you got the, you know, the, the infrared and you got all these things you got to do, sweetheart, and you don't understand. It's too complicated. Mm-hmm. But Daddy, I want to take the picture and I want to see it. Right. And and this is back in the 40s and 50s. And he, he thought, oh, this kid, you know. But then he just kind of froze and he went into this, this, sparked, you know, they call it the, the aha moment. Right. But, yep. but those aren't really aha moments, are they? Cause he had been working on that for like seven years on how to he even had a pouch designed where you could have the camera and you kind of pull the thing out of the pouch and then, you know, but he was thinking about it all wrong. And so his daughter, the way she said it yeah. triggers something of, of all the slow create is what I call it, the slow create work uh, seven years prior. And it triggered that missing keystone component of how she framed it. And then a picture popped in it. So this random inputs to a long tail process typically bring forth those moments, those hard to find moments. So, so interesting. So interesting. A lot we can unpack and uncover in what we've already discussed, but I do want to move on to a few other topics as well, because we only have about 15 minutes or so. Um, Oh, Polaroid. Sorry, that was the Polaroid. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, got it. Yeah, it totally makes sense. So the the and and that so that happened in the forties. You say? Yeah, it was back in. Gosh, I'm going to screw this up. Uh, Edwin Land, uh, 1947. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, and it blew and, the world away. That is, that is interesting. That to think about the fact that he'd been working on these problems, right? Been 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 looking at photography and, and film development from so many different angles. And it was the way she framed her want, the way she framed what, what she felt like would be really cool that, that triggered the idea for Polaroids, mm-hmm. uh, which, which is, which is awesome. Um, so what were some of the other 
surprising things you uncovered in your research? So again, you you were kind of studying companies and then the, the developers behind, you know, Ring and Snapchat and Dropbox and Gmail and, and Groupon, some of our favorite uh, tech tools. What were a few of the, the surprising things you uncovered? You know, we opened the book with the story of Gmail and Paul Bushite, who had been working on Gmail in his mind for like six years, we believe, I believe, uh, for six years prior in 96, he was in college and he needed a way to check his email without going back to the dorm. And so he kind of, oh, screw this, this sucks. You know, I'm going to create something. And then he never finished it, but it, it got the wheels turning, right? And then 2002 to 2004, he formally created the product that became Gmail, him and a couple others. Uh, but the 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 process of adopting JavaScript was scary at that time back in the dot-com days. You know, JavaScript was like a dirty word, right? Like nobody does JavaScript. If you do JavaScript, you're going to get banned. The browser is going to shut you down. Now it's like, if you don't know JavaScript, you're not getting hired, right? You have to know, and it's everywhere. It's all over the, it's coming out of our ears, right? It's uh, But there's so many ways that, that these other companies had, you know, slow created in, been germinating on these 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 innovative topics like uh, Bitcoin took you know two and a half years for Satoshi Nakamoto. If you're out there, whoever you are, you know, and all I think he's a regular people, listener, so I think he's gonna, yeah, he, yeah, he's a subscriber, yeah, yeah for sure. <laughs> doesn't miss an episode. Oh man, so there's so many others. Like you know, the the, the rarity is when you know the the social media uh, network social network movie back in 20. 20- uh, Aaron's, yeah, I mean, isn't it? It's kind of the, uh, it's it's the Godfather movie for all of us. It, it is, it is. It's a really good way to frame it. Because we look back and we go, yeah, that's kind of the dream, isn't it? You know, mm. Zuck in his dorm, a couple weeks of late nights and pizza and coffee and all, and he's drawing on the glass, you know. His, <laughs> you know if drawing I, the algorithms on the glass. Yeah, the algorithms. And, and all of us tech people are like, oh, God, this is ridiculous. Like, that's not even PhD. <laughs> and the real Mark Zuckerberg is also like, oh, this is ridiculous. Yeah, yeah Zuck is like, that's not even true. Anymore. Yeah. But, you know, they have to uh, package tech, you know, make sure. it sexy and they have hackathons and everyone's cheering, go, 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 yeah, go. Yeah. When in fact, and they, everyone looks cool with cool hair, good teeth and awesome clothes. You know, in reality, these nerds are like, you know, frumpy dudes that, <laughs> you know, they, it, it's not exactly like we're the coolest people in the world, you know, in the tech industry. Right. Yeah, Sorry, for guys, sure, for sure. And you, you, and the, which kind of is exactly a part of the narrative of the tech genius. It's like they take these frumpy nerds and then all of a sudden they have an agent, they, they get dental work done, they got veneers, they're on the cover of Wired magazine with shadow lights and you know three point lighting and their hair is perfect and mm-hmm. you know they've got these beards now or they're you know just ripped abs or whatever it is you know yeah yeah whatever 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 the look of the the month is uh, in that space yeah for sure I, I went down a rabbit hole sorry but so the, we're talking the, about Gmail and yeah. and uh, Paul uh, uh, Buckheit yeah Buckheit there we go okay. And then you have Zuck and Facebook, and you know the, the three-week model of incubation. That really wasn't true. He was already incubating on this prior to creating Facebook. There was other kind of face smash and other things that he did. We've all heard these stories, right? But you know, Bezos spent tons of time in in finance. Uh, he he kind of knew the business and the industry of of making money, of creating tight operations. He had an incredible mind for it. You know, the guys. Um, incredibly hardworking and, and and very smart and very focused on the economical aspect of it. And you can go on and on and on through these background stories. The rarity is the, the stories like Snapchat, 
where you have a couple guys get together, they create something. The controversy of it is really the key word, the controversy of Snapchat. You know, I was a parent. I had an 11-year-old daughter at the time. Uh, now she's 21. Makes me 42. <laughs> but uh, Evan, uh, was it Evan? Yeah. Some of the guys that started with him, you know, he pushed the envelope. And all of us parents are freaking out. Like, what is this thing called Snapchat? You better not put it on your phone. You know, I barely am willing to let you right. have a smartphone at this age. I don't even think I did. I can't remember, but we're freaking out. But but the controversy fueled this flame and it hit the media and everyone's, you know, having heart attacks about these disappearing pictures. The kids are loving it. Uh, and then it turned into a media empire and this whole different thing, right? So people stumble sometimes into that, that viral loop, into that uh, something you cannot manufacture. But uh, after sitting down with Sean Ellis, the guy who invented and, and coined the term growth hacking, who helped Dropbox become a household name, I learned the true story of Dropbox from the horse's mouth in, in firsthand experience. A fascinating conversation, amazing guy. But one of the things you take away from that was Dropbox was successful for two reasons. One is they created a perfect product. That's why I named my company Product Perfect. So if you need software out there, shameless plug, hit us up at productperfect.com. Software consultancy down here in Orange County. But they created a perfect product. It seamlessly executed. And Ellis even said at the end of the chapter four, he said, you know, that was the magic for me. It was the, the execution of that product. When you saved a file, boom, it's there. You know, there is no weird right-clicking or let's, you know, synchronize. It just automatically happens, right? And that every product team out there, you should be focusing on creating a product that just happens automatically, right? The second thing was that he manufactured growth. They would create experiments, not because they knew they would work. They called them experiments for a reason. They didn't know if anything would work, right? But what if we give 10 megabytes away? Well, what if we, you know, you bring a, you get a free puppy, you know, they were trying all kinds of stuff over there. And the one that worked, of course, was a secret that was given to him by Jamie Simonoff, the uh, the founder of Ring, bought by Amazon for a billion dollars. And Simonoff and and Ellis got together and they had a conversation. And that that one magical moment where the way Simonoff said it, it just triggered something in his mind of wait, you did what now? And it worked. And how did that work? And he and he gave him the secret, and that is principle of mutual benefit, right? So if the email goes to someone who's a friend who will receive, as well as a sender receives something of value. Both parties have to receive value. Then both parties feel obligated to each other. And there's this essence of reciprocity. Yeah, back to the like, Robert Cialdini uh, days, the the uh, influence. Yeah, and they then that worked. And so they went to lunch and came back and they saw a 300% spike on the radar. And that was the aha moment. Mm -hmm. But they had tried all these hundreds of other seeds planted before then. So I, I think demystifying uh, the Dropbox story was was very satisfying and seeing that unfold in a very pragmatic way, it really encouraged me and I think it should encourage anyone else who checks it out and um, to, to be able to take your own ideas and your own products and, and demystify them and pragmatically force them into success by creating an experimental culture around a, a perfectly crafted product. That's awesome. So maybe as we're kind of coming up with a, with a few kind of final takeaways from your research and, and from the book. And then of course we'll talk about where to get the book. And I want to hear a little bit more about, about your company as well, before we wrap up, 
you know, what, what are some of the, the kind of key takeaways in addition to what we talked about that's kind of the, the you can do it type thing, you know, where, where I know, you know, what you uncover, what you're seeing here is that, hey, you don't really have to be a tech genius, right? Mm-hmm. This, this can be you or I, right? Like not, not certainly not genius level, some creativity and some, some brightness, hopefully, but like, what are some key takeaways on how can we do it? How can we get to, maybe we don't need to be at Bezos's level, right? But how can we level up? I think there's a lot you can do. I think that the hype and hustle needs to be extinguished and removed from our vocabulary. I think the, the whispering entrepreneur is where I want to get to is that, I can just whisper my pitch and it, and it blows people away. And chapter nine and 10 talk about presentation and learning how to speak, not learning how to pronounce. You can go to a speech therapy for that, but learning how to speak so that your information is funneled and throttled and storytelling. You know, I call it the great crossover when nerds tell stories, right? So uh, never underestimate a nerd with a great story. And, and these technical folks, they have so much to for the world. You have so much good stuff inside of sure. you. But if you could cross that chasm, man, if you could just learn how to talk, you'd be awesome, right? And so the left-brainers sit in behind their code and they hide behind their syntax and they say, well, ask me a question about technology and I'll give you a great answer. I'm your guy, you know, but don't ask me to design anything. Don't ask me to do any public speaking. Don't ask me to be out front. Uh, but there's a lot in you that, that, and I'm kind of speaking to the listener, you know, is there's so much in you that you can do. There's so much more that you can be. And so learning how to tell the right story, learning how to uh, contort your body and your mind into this shape that the, that the world wants to see and hear, not because just because they want to see and hear it, but because that makes you more palatable and more interesting. Malcolm Gladwell, great author, my favorite author, yeah, tipping point, outliers, right? He's awesome, right? Uh, he he says, you know, he writes about things in his master class. They asked him, you know, what do you, what do you look for to write about? He said, is it interesting? That's it. Mm-hmm. Is it interesting? And it, it could really be anything: snowshoes in Alaska, or uh, you know, uh, social issues, or uh, economical issues, or documentary style research. It, it doesn't really matter. Tree tree roots. You know, he'll, he'll just go off the tangents. And he'll take analogies and throw them from left field. And you're like, where did you come up with that? But yeah, he has, yeah. but it works. Right? It works, right? And it really it drives home some ideas. And I, and I think uh, left brain uh, software development type minds out there, entrepreneurial minds that are technical in nature, you have the ability to do what Malcolm Gladwell does, right? That's, mm. that's how I try to approach writing. And that's how I try to approach uh, my compelling communication models are you know, to, to take your narratives and to refashion them from, from every vector imaginable. But I would say that chapter nine and 10 and in learning how to create your own mystique is kind of the end result of that because other people then pull you into their dreams. They pull you into their organizations because you're so valuable to them. The way you think, the way you speak, the way you operate, you become that MVP recruit, you know, that partner and you, you're elevated from let's hire that guy to let's partner with that guy or that gal. Right. And, yeah. and, and that's so critical to, to cross that chasm of, and all it takes is just a tiny shred of confidence and a little bit of learning. And you, you watch yourself, your shoulders will straighten very quickly and you feel more comfortable. Really interesting. I, I remember seeing one time, it's been years ago, but I'm confident that it's true is that, you know, usually the best communicators in any field end up as the top 
earners, right? Those that can communicate clearly internally, externally, mm-hmm. they usually rise to the top because that that's important in so many, it's so much what we do, right? Get, getting buy-in from your team and then convincing an investor or convincing the market that what you have to offer is amazing. And so I, lo- I love this. I'm excited to unpack more here as I go through the book of, um, hey, this, this is the way you should shape your thinking and approach your ideas. And, and then here are some tips for good communication because the, those two skills often overlooked, you know, we all have room to improve. And so, yeah, really, really excited about that. So, so any, any, any final takeaways here just in the last minute or so? And then, and then uh, how can people find the book as well? Uh, final takeaways, I think, is just that call to adventure as a as an average Joe, you know, and, and if you think you're special, then um, you're right, but you're also wrong, <laughs> right? You're right in that you intrinsically are are valuable as a human being, and and I believe that, and I'm sure you would too, Brett. And I think absolutely the the specialness though of that God has made us and so forth of my personal beliefs separate from that, but this idea that you are not special, you know, the first day of TechStars, they said. Uh, first of all, let's get this out of the way. All y'all are not here because of your brilliant ideas. We don't like your startup. We think your your startup's pretty stupid anyway. And we, you're here because we like you. We mm. think you're interesting. And you may start and stop 10 of these things in the next week. We don't even care. At the end of this process, the best possible company will come out of you. And we want to be around when that happens. We want to be a, a partner with you on that journey. And I think of anyone and everyone I interact with, you know, and if if I could see them as, wow, they have so much great subject matter and, and, and I can't wait to see as they evolve and develop. So thresholds of greatness are, are dotted lines around our feet. I think there's, there's certainly plenty of people out there that'll teach you how to have hype and hustle and get the sugar going and you got to get up at 4 a.m. and you got to work harder and every day, you know, grind, 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 grind. <laughs> <laughs> Try having kids in a mortgage in a commute, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, I want to see with my two-year-old, let me let you borrow my two-year-old for a couple of days and you try to get up at 4 a.m., drive to work, go work all day, freaking make the boss happy, then come home at night and take out the trash and do blah, 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 blah. Put the kids to bed and you're so exhausted. And then you know, spend time with your spouse or something. So the ability to, to garner all that together, put it through the funnel, communicate properly. That's the most important skill you've got. Yeah, that's awesome. It's awesome. So it's an Amazon bestseller. Obviously, we can find it on, on Amazon. Uh, but you have a pretty cool website for the book, too. You want to mention that? Yeah, averagejoetechgenius.com. Averagejoetechgenius.com. I'll link to it in the show notes as well. Mm-hmm. But any quick plug for the site? Yeah, just check out. There's 26 videos on there, all free stuff. There's still create frameworks there, free downloadable PDFs. You can learn how to think, speak, and create like a tech genius. But it's all free and hopefully you enjoy it. Awesome. And then, and then, yeah, so if someone was listening and thinking, hey, maybe I do need some software. I want to talk through some ideas about software. Um, talk, talk quickly about your software company and how can people learn more about that as well? We are a boutique software consultancy here in Southern California, uh, enterprise migrations, large enterprise products. We typically focus on SaaS products, but got world-class designers and, and builders, about 15 folks roughly. And, and so we'd love to help you with whatever you've got. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And the, the URL for that? Oh yeah. Productperfect.com. Productperfect.com. Awesome. I'll link to that as well. Well, Sean, this has been 
thought-provoking and fun. And I cannot believe that our time has ran up because I feel like I could have asked you about 35 more questions and we could have gone <laughs> even deeper. So it was really fun, but appreciate the time, man. That was, that was a good time. Yeah. Thanks, Brad. It's a lot of fun. Absolutely. And so I'll link to everything in the show notes. You can check that out at omgcommerce.com forward slash blog. Uh, with that, thank you so much for tuning in. We want to hear from you. So give us some feedback. What do you like about the show? Give us some other topic ideas and, and suggestions. And give us that five-star review on iTunes if you think that the show is worth it. Helps other people find the, the show as well. And so with that, until next time, thank you for listening. At OMG Commerce, we accelerate growth for some of the most loved brands in e-commerce, like Boom, Native, True Earth, Overtone, and dozens more. If your Google and YouTube ad performance isn't where it should be, if you're struggling with Performance Max, or if you're not scaling like you'd like on Amazon, then we have two ways to help. One, we have amazing resources that are free for the taking, like our top YouTube ads guide with lots of examples, our PMAX checklist, or our Amazon DSP roadmap, plus many more. Or hit us up for a free strategy session. So go on over to omgcommerce.com and click on Let's Talk to request that free strategy session, or click on Resources and Guides and pick the guide that's right for you. And now back to the show.